Dalton takes a shotgun snap. Quick throw. Nice. Caught by Get Green. It, it is a yeah. touchdown. Adriel Jeremiah Green. You don't live in Cleveland. Hello and welcome to episode 87 of Cincinnati, the Bengals UK podcast that is still here. We've taken a week off um, just because we can and we're lazy, um, but we are back. And there, actually, there is a proper reason for taking a week off because, uh, well, I had to try and secure our special guest and it took a little bit longer than uh, usual. But there, we do have him and you'll be hearing from him uh, a little bit later on, um, but joining me on the other end of the Skype line that has become our virtual sewing room over the past, I don't know, three, four months, it's Nathan Palmer, everybody. So you're sounding very enthusiastic this week, son. I think the week off's done you good. I feel refreshed. I feel, um, well, I don't know. I mean, I shouldn't really because the world is a, a is an absolute inferno at the moment isn't it uh, lots of things happening lots of anger and rage and uh, you know righteous rage i must say um so you know it's it, it's enough to get everyone down and it should make us all think about what we do and we addressed this in our last episode uh but you've got to try and stay cheerful haven't you Oh, absolutely! I think, and it, it's good to hear your voice, son. If there's anything that cheers me up on a on a Monday night, it's hearing from you in this podcast. Oh, bless you! How have you been, Nathan? I've been all right. I've moved house um, for the second time in this lockdown for reasons I won't get into. Um, so that's been a challenge. But otherwise, I've bought an American football, as I was telling you just before um, we got on air. So when you're ready, son, we'll, we'll get over get over Hampstead Heath and uh, whip it around. What about the ball? Hey, <laughs> hey! Did you see? No, that's, that's oh. the top-rate humour that I've missed. Oh goodness me! This is what the this is what the listeners tuned in for every week. And um, so you moved again. If it isn't a holiday, it's a house move. I mean, your life is a constant stream of drama and excitement, isn't it? Well, you you could say that. Yeah, you could say that. Um... But it isn't. <laughs> But <laughs> knowing you personally, I know that it's not the case. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I'll tell you what, after our last episode, something I must address for the listeners is, cool. um, so I mentioned on the last podcast that one of the beers I've been drinking a lot of recently is Manabria, the Italian beer that's just come yeah, to Yeah, yeah. I bought some as well. But um, Oh, did you really? Where'd you get it from? Uh, co-op. Oh, which one? The one in Kentish Town? Yeah, yeah. Oh, bang it, I might have to swing around there then. No, I can't because you'll anything. buy it all out. It's because you've been buying it all, that's why. Mate, I bought, I bought, um, I bought 12 from the co-op <laughs> around the corner from my old flat. Just to stock me up, I've ran out. So. Um... And listeners, if you don't know what these bottles are like, they're not normal little bottles of beer. They're quite big bottles of beer, uh, I have to say. How nice are they, though, some? Well, I haven't actually had one yet. Cause I bought... Oh, give off. Because I have, I've bought two... And some one of my housemates drank one of them. Did he? Uh, she. And, oh, she. Fair play. Uh, I live in a house full of women. And I, for, I thought he was drinking women. You, don't it? No, he's moved out. Another um, <laughs> another woman's moved in. Obviously, who likes beer? <laughs> and, um, Good tasting beer as well. Exactly. I have to take my half or to it if it wasn't my beer. Um, 
However, I had to hide the other one, and to be honest, I can't remember where I put it, so I'm going to have to look for it. And also, That's I was cool. kind of, and I was kind of going to save it uh, for when we meet up in person again. Um, oh, mate, I, I'm bringing a. I, I, I literally love it at the moment. I'm obsessed with it. So if you can, where, where is the? I'm trying to think where the cop is. In I'm Kenish. not going to tell you because you're just going to go there and buy them all out. I went. There's a Culp in Belsize Park, but they don't have them. But I, all the listeners, before we just go off about local affairs, it is a really good view. If you, if you can locate it in the UK, I fully recommend it. Hundreds of listeners have tuned out already. I can feel it. Um, <laughs> but don't stick around because I say we do have a fantastic special guest. Let's just start talking about Joe Burrow to whet their appetite. Just let's bring up something about his uh, LSU Alabama game to get people like fully warmed back up. That's what we need to reengage the fans. We did play that out a couple of weeks ago on one of our watch parties, and that was that was great to watch. Um, um, but yeah, Joe Burrow has been releasing statements and uh, about the whole Black Lives Matter uh, movement, uh, which I think has. Uh, really kind of solidified his role as a leader on on the team and I think it's impressed a lot of his teammates. Um, and just following on from that, our special guest this week, as I mentioned, we've got a good one. It is Tommy Smith, uh, if you can quite believe that. Um, I managed to get hold of Tommy, who is, of course, uh, the 200-metre Olympic gold medalist from 1968, which, I mean, winning that race in itself in a world record time would be an amazing achievement. But what he did on the podium in the middle of, as I say, 1968, it was a, it was a really crazy year in American history. Lots of civil rights uh, marches and movements and the assassination of Martin Luther King and Bobby Kennedy. Um, he went up on the podium and produced a really powerful... Uh, protest raising his his right fist which was clad in a black leather glove and that image is now one of the most iconic images of the 20th century and of course Tommy also played for the Bengals lest we forget in 1969 so unbelievably and amazingly we have one of the most inspirational men on the planet coming up on our podcast in a little while that's no, incredible get son and i think you know uh the fact there's a link to the bengals there for someone um who's just something very brave and admirable is yeah it's quite incredible so i'm i'm excited to because i haven't heard it yet so i'm excited to to have a listen yeah i spoke to tommy on uh friday we're recording this on the monday uh monday the 15th and uh spoke to him on friday and big thanks to him and his lovely wife dolores who uh helped out with the interview so uh chat with the legendary iconic Tommy Smith is coming up uh, a bit later. But speaking of legends and icons, um, we're going to have to sort of discuss some sad news, really, because a uh, long-time Bengal cornerback, Ken Riley, passed away last week. And uh, what can you say about Ken? He is, well, he should be in the Hall of Fame, full stop. Um, now, Ken was born in 1947 and uh, was drafted by the Bengals in 1969 uh, and went on to play for them right throughout the 70s, uh, played in the Super Bowl in 1980, you know, winter 1982 and retired in 1983. He was a, a three-time All-Pro, no Pro Bowls, bizarrely, but three-time All-Pro. 
In his 15 seasons in the NFL, Ken recorded a total of 65 uh, interceptions, which, remarkably, uh, makes him still number five on the all-time NFL interceptions list, um, which is amazing. And uh, if you look around on that list, you know, he's, I think I'm right in saying he's one of only two cornerbacks, the rest are safeties. So he is genuinely an NFL legend and uh, the outpouring of love and respect for Ken that came out last week from former teammates, Ken Anderson, etc., was amazing. And, what you know, if you listen to Dan Horde's brilliant uh, Bengals Booth podcast, there was a, a really lovely tribute, uh, a, a chat, a, a review of his life by teammate Bob Trumpy. And then on the latest Bengals Booth podcast, there was... Um, uh, our old chum Jeff Hobson explaining uh, a little bit more about Ken's career and the process of Hall of Fame selection. Um, I mean, he was a legend, really. It, it, it comes across that he was such a quiet, lovely guy, but he was nicknamed the Rattler, so that should tell you. I know. Solid we... handle, that. Solid <laughs> handle. I think. I think the Rattler is indeed the solidest of solid handles uh, from the solidest of solid players, you know, and, uh, yeah, an amazing guy by all accounts. And obviously I say the Rattler references his former, uh, university, I believe. Um, but would equally apply to his style of, of playing. Um, what a loss, Nathan, what an absolute loss. No, a hundred percent. And I think, um, you know, only in his seventies as well. So unfortunately, you know, they've gone before his time a little bit, but, what what an incredible player! I mean, to do, to play fifteen seasons in the NFL, I mean, you just don't see players, you know, to get to that age very much more in the NFL. An incredible career, and obviously, I think is it fourth all time in receptions in the NFL for all the players that have played over the years. I mean, it's extraordinary achievement and absolute robbery that um, that he's not in the Hall of Fame yet. And you know, as as, as morbid as this sounds, something like this potentially could. Um, be the thing that propels him into the Hall of Fame when it's next considered. But, you know, I'm a bit too late in some respects. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, not only heartbreaking that a player and a man of Ken's ability and uh, likability has passed away, but also the fact that, you know, if you listen to Jeff on uh, Dan Hord's Bengals Booth podcast, he kind of, Jeff is the, the representative for the Bengals that has to kind of lobby for... Bengals players you know and he just he said that he just keeps being told that don't worry they'll you know they're both on the list they'll get they'll have to just wait their turn and I get that there are 30 odd teams in the NFL each one has has uh, genuine grievances that some of their stars aren't in the Hall of Fame but isn't it heartbreaking that if Kenny's on the list and you know if he is going to be inducted in the next two three four years what an absolute kicker that he is not going to be there to enjoy that moment. Yeah, 100%. And the one thing with the NFL that I have to give credit for is that the Hall of Fame really is like a prestigious, um, well-done thing that they do. It's a, it's unlike some other sports where it's a little bit gimmicky and anyone gets in. It's like it's a really like prestigious um, title to be sort of enshrined in the Hall of Fame. And I think 
exactly like you said it is a bit of a kick in the teeth if it comes sort of two three four years too late especially uh, considering the stats and the player he was and I think sometimes in the NFL you know you know a lot of people have said that he was a slightly understated guy uh, you know the way he played and the, the sort of person he was and stuff and sometimes unfortunately that can just sort of um, be to your detriment in terms of being noticed um, and being talked about in your retirement so a real shame but you know fingers crossed for the future for for the nod to the Hall of Fame. Yes, yeah, put both Kens in while you're at it. It's, it's about yeah. time. It's ridiculous. Um, and I'm not, I mean, you can say that as a passionate Bengals fan. You can read into the conspiracy theories that the Hall of Fame has something against the Bengals. But I'm not sure if I read into that too much. But um, it is, frankly, on an objective, purely objective level, the fact that Ken Anderson and Ken Riley to the best players in the NFL throughout the 1970s, not just for a year or two, but throughout the 1970s, have both got to a Super Bowl. What more do you want? Ken Anderson, an NFL MVP. Uh, Ken Riley, the fifth in the list of of all-time interceptions. What more do you have to do? I, I just beggars belief, and they really should kind of hang their heads in shame, uh, really, I think. Uh, so farewell, Ken Riley. Thank you for the memories. Go on YouTube. Find out about him. Look at his clips. Look at his uh, his footage and uh, just admire the guy and perhaps raise a drink or two to Ken. Here, here. Oh, and I should also mention that when Paul Brown drafted him, he drafted him as a quarterback, but then straight away converted him into a cornerback how crazy well, is that he's a sixth round pick as well i mean the value you get sixth round pick and the geezer plays 15 years and fifth in the nfl all time in interceptions i mean whoever scouted that pick deserves a tap on the back didn't they absolutely good on paul i think um it also has reignited the discussion about the bengals uh paying tribute to their former players which is something they've always been criticized for um and the importance, actually, of a ring of honour. Uh, Paul Brown always said that it's uh, the team before the in- individual. Uh, but I think in this day and age, you know, it's it's a good thing. Something like, you know, if you go to Paul Brown Stadium, there are flags of legendary fl- players, you know, full-length flags hanging from in the concourses uh, of your Boomer Esiasons, your James Brooks, your you know, Ken Anderson's, your Eddie Brown's, whatever. So that some players are acknowledged, but the traditional way in the States is to uh, have this kind of ring of honour. And I know our, uh, our friend Jim Foster's done his own sort of uh, ring of honour on his Twitter feed. And I think it, it gives... It, it, the players love it. The players, every time we've spoken to veterans on this on the show... They said that they absolutely loved going back to Cincinnati when it was the 50th year celebrations a few years back. Um, And they love it. They feel valued and um, the fans can interact with them again. And, of course, it's big for the fans, you know. So I I think they should... I get the whole ethos that it's, it's team over individual and it should be that, frankly. But I really... In terms of engaging the fans, this is a really good way to do it. And... We've seen in our watch parties that, uh, you know, I think a lot of people have enjoyed them, A, because it's been, frankly, something to do on a Sunday evening when there's not been 
much else. B, it's been a distraction to what is out there at the moment. And C, it has acted as almost like a history lesson. You know, people hadn't seen Ken Anderson play before, hadn't seen Isaac Curtis, hadn't seen Boomer Sison, hadn't seen James Brooks, hadn't seen Corey Dillon. And it's taught us that we've had some fantastic players, some fantastic teams, um, and they should all, you know, they all have their value, you know, and uh, they all have their worth. And I think those players and those teams should be celebrated. No, I agree completely. Um, and I'm, I'm really surprised, really, that the Bengals haven't, you know, been jumping on this. I think it's probably, I think that the pressure on them is starting to mount a little bit here. And I think a lot of people would like to see it happen. I think the Bengals have definitely in the last couple of years been quite fan friendly and been open to new things. And you can see that with their social media game really stepping up. And I, I think it's in the, on the cards. I, and I think certainly with the, you know, recent events with, you know, the loss of Ken Riley and stuff like that, it will only um, sort of magnify that pressure to, um, to hopefully get them to do it. I mean, there's no, what's, what's the downside of it? You know, it's a, it's a really positive celebration of former great players, you know, and obviously it's a team game and, you know, you don't want it to be just about individuals. But I also think that um, for certain players that have given a lot to the city, both from a football perspective, but also for other activities, um, it's a really, really nice thing. And I think the fans would absolutely love it and it would add more prestige to, um, to the franchise. So I, I'm, I'm hopeful for the future for it. I agree. And, you know, Mike loves, Mike Brown loves football players. He's been surrounded by football and football players since, you know, he was a kid when his dad was doing amazing things in Cleveland. And then he was part of the, the family team that, that kind of launched the Bengals and founded the Bengals in the late 60s. So Mike loves players. And, you know, you talk to a lot of players and they'll say, you know, he, he does a lot of stuff for on, the per, on a personal level. So I don't see why celebrating the players that have helped make this team one of the most innovative, one of the most uh, attractive in the NFL and the most storied in the NFL, uh, why you shouldn't celebrate that. Um, I'd, I'd go even farther. I do, I've been thinking about this and I do have some ideas. Go on, son. Yeah, so I thought I thought you were, <laughs> I thought you were going to wow with me, with me with your ideas. Then no, I was. I'm aware that I'm talking lots in this, so I'm, I'm trying to get you to come in and respond. But um, I'm just listening to your incredible monologues, my well, There I'm you just, go. I'm just in awe, <laughs> sat here, like you know, my ears are purring. Oh dear. Um, so the banks, which is the the kind of road that has that sort of links Paul Brown Stadium to uh, Great American Ballpark. Uh, it has bars and restaurants. It's a great place to hang out on game day. You've probably seen the photographs of uh, opening day on baseball season when it's completely filled with fans. And and there's been a lot of development there. And certainly in the car park of the, the Bengals, there's, a, there's now a live music venue. Uh, I would like to see an actual Bengals museum, almost like a Bengals Hall of Fame uh, museum, on the banks you know you could charge people to get in you could have inductees you could make a big thing about it over the weekend you know you could have uh, marissa contepelli interviewing each inductee at half time i mean it's got to be better than watching dogs on 
horses or whatever the Bengals do um, at halftime these days. You can have it, you know, the whole kind of clips, amazing social media team producing a little sizzle video of whoever on the video screens. You can have Marissa interviewing each inductee at halftime, making a real sort of pomp and ceremony about it, then having their bust or not necessarily a bust, but perhaps sort of virtual, not hologram, but, you know, one of these sort of little video kind of tributes with their memorabilia inside this Bengals museum. You could have that, I think, and that would be fantastic. Now, um, listen, Mike, Mike Brown or anyone of the Bengals organisation that's listening to this podcast, if you're looking for an employee, sign this man up, you know. He's got a, he's got a full-on vision mapped out for this Hall of Fame thing that he's put together. He's got an incredible interview lined up with Tommy Smith, you know, bang on the bang on the money in terms of what's going on at the moment, you know, really good content. This man is the man that you want. If there's any job openings at Paul Brown Stadium, son, I want you straight in there, head of business development. Yeah, but up I want to still be a player, so... You want to be a player? Yeah, I want to be a slot receiver. A little kind of Darren Sprolesy type, you know, <laughs> we, kind of. We can maybe flex you onto the practice squad and see okay. if you get off. All right, okay. But seriously, <laughs> that would be a great idea, wouldn't it? That would no, be like an actual idea. physical building where you could go in, you could like charge ten dollars to get in. The fans would love it. Visiting <laughs> have you done, fans. Have you done a, have you done a SWOT analysis, my son? <laughs> I've done a full business plan. Uh, I also think that they should have a, a Bengal shop slap bang in the middle of town as well. Uh, you got the archaeological drawings. <laughs> well, funnily enough, I've also been thinking about the whole practice field thing. And I know if you read Jeff's uh, columns that he often says that, um, you know, they're kind of tied to owning that land just outside the stadium where they where they practice. Um, but if you look at what the Cowboys do, they've, they've sort of made the whole their practice field and their uh, complex into a full retail and leisure complex you know so it's not they're sort of making it pay and i wonder if that land next to the stadium is ripe for development and making i don't know who's going to pay for all this there's already enough sort of hoopla <laughs> I think about we're going to elevate you to the mayor of cincinnati you can uh... <laughs> I think that's that. where we're going with this. You, you might have outrun the Bengals. You've got, you've got bigger plans than the Hall of Fame. I, now. I, I want to take over that You've got a, got a luxury retail and shopping <laughs> outlet. There. I know. We, yeah. um, but, yeah, seriously, though, I think that would be fantastic. A Bengals Hall kind of on a – I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, you know, just a Bengals museum type thing where you would, you would have inductees into that museum. Uh, and I think fans would love to see it. And for – Fans who don't live in the, in Cincinnati, a a special section on the website dedicated to um, legendary players who uh, and inductees into this either Ring of Honor or museum or whatever you want to call it. How many people? What happens to a Ring of Honor? If you if say that Mike Brown came out tomorrow and he said after listening to this podcast he's been sold on your incredible vision, right? Yes. So the retail park's being built, the Hall of Fame is being built. How many people would be inducted? First off, it's always a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, I think Jim did eight in his Ring of Honor to begin with. Um, And then do you add like one a season or something like that? Is that it works? You'd want to do like two or three, really, wouldn't you? Oh, but you don't want to devalue it, though, do you? I know, because you get to like Russell Bodine going in in like 2026 (laughs) or something like that. So, 
You almost, I feel like you. I feel like you'd be stingy with it because then it adds more. Adds the prestige, doesn't it? And it yeah. fuels conversation. So I reckon you maybe do six or eight, and then one a season, and then fans have to vote. Season ticket holders have to vote yeah. on the next man in, and then it just be you know benefits for season ticket holders. It stokes a bit of a debate every year, doesn't it? Uh, no, absolutely. I'm 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 down with that. Anything that engages the fans is a great idea. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, uh, I think I think they're coming around to these sort of ideas, um, but I think you know to to get a presence, especially now the banks is being developed. Um, I think now might be the time to look at it, or or kind of rent, you know, get get some property in in down in the downtown area, which is about ten fifteen minute walk up the road, um, to. Uh, to kind of get a museum or a you know you could have a shop there you could have a cafe and a restaurant whatever you wanted do you know what i mean you can make it a big thing but anyway that's that's uh world, you're a vision, you're a visionary my son that's that's my uh world building over you're, with you're the, you're the richard branson of cincinnati oh don't say that goodness <laughs> me he's a wanker um right okay let's get on to more news uh dj reader has dropped 20 pounds uh, like weight, not money, um, uh, which is interesting. He wants to be nimble and fresh, and you know he's already a good player, so it'd be interesting to see what that makes a difference to his game. Uh, Zach Taylor uh, was pictured walking into the stadium, with, you know, complete with mask and uh, um, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's, it is the new normal, as they keep calling it, and it's going to be really strange. Um, but it, it, they seem hell-bent on, on, uh, on making this season happen when they said it was going to happen, Nathan. Yeah, there's not been any... I mean, I, unless I'm missing it, but I haven't really seen too much about what the plan is for crowds. I mean, I think it's very likely there's going to be a shortened pre-season, um, which I don't think anyone will be too fussed about. But... Um, it will be. I'm just so intrigued on opening days. How long we got to opening day? I mean, the thing with the 90 NFL season, days, Nathan. 90 it it days. really creeps up on you. You have the draft, and then it's sort of you know May. People sort of still just about buzzing off of the draft, and then it gets into June, and then it really goes quiet. I mean, we'll probably have about five people listen to this episode, and then you know you get into July, and people just start sort of getting their appetite wet, and then all of a sudden. Every year this happens to me, every single year, and it's normally Jamie that tweets this. He's like, oh, it's pre-season in like two weeks. And I'm always like, no, it can't be. And then you like, it just really jumps up on you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be really interesting. So I think I'm only 90 days out now from like the opener. Are they going to have crowds in that stadium? I mean, I just, I can't see it. But, you know, it's going to be interesting whatever happens. I just, I think it'll be fantastic after... You know the starts of the year we've had. If there is football back, I don't care if there's not one, you know, man and a dog in the, in the stadium and they're using artificial crowd noise. It'll just be so cool to, you know, watch um, some football on TV. Uh, absolutely, I'm with you. Um, I'm kind of shocked, really, because I say I, I I genuinely thought that the way things are going and the way things are going, especially in the states, this wouldn't happen at all. But even now in the UK, you know, we're down to what today? What was it? 50 30 something 50 was it 30 something deaths which is yeah yeah it's still horrific but it's it's nothing like we were getting at the start of april so and i've said this on the podcast before it is such a fluid fast-moving situation you just cannot predict 
and which is also the scary thing about it. It's it's the not knowing about. There is no precedent for this, you know. Um, but there we go. Let's let's keep our fingers crossed. Um, Andrew Whitworth appeared on the uh, Willie Anderson Instagram live chat show thingamajig and he said that he was quite keen to retire a bengal just before uh uh he got kicked out of the building so unlucky andrew but i think he's still kind of up for it uh maybe depending on where his head's head's at really that would be nice wouldn't it is he a, is he a free agent at the moment whitworth is he no i think he's signed on for another year oh is he okay yeah, fair enough yeah, yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah. Um, biggest mistake the Bengals have made, arguably in the last 10 years, was letting him go. Oh, I mean, I'd, I'd maybe say the biggest mistake. Um, well, let me think. They've made a few, let's face it. They but, did sign some. I mean, giving Preston Brown that contract was pretty poor. Yeah, but, uh, you could, I mean, even in the watch parties, you know, we did the Houston, the last Bengals playoff win against Houston this uh, last Sunday. Uh, which was interesting. It was supposed to. It was after listening to Paul Dana and uh, Jay Morrison and Moega on the uh, hear that podcast growling episode. Um, they talked about. They went. They did a deep dive into the the last playoff win in 1990 against the Oilers, and of course that was the year that you know they Solomon Wilcox, uh, another past guest on this show, kind of said that they were letting players go that you. You just thought, what the hell are they doing? You know, people like Max Montoya. Um, so you know, but then again, I guess every team does that, really, don't they? Um, but yes, uh, letting Bigwit go was a colossal mistake, I think, because uh, he's still playing now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, he's playing at highest now. I mean, I think his play dropped off slightly in the last year, but I still think you know, since he's left, there's been a gaping hole on that line, and I think. Try not. I think not only was the frustration in letting him go, but it was that the players to back him up couldn't have been, you know, any worse. Really, I mean, yeah. the, you know, pinning your hopes on like Jake Fisher and Cedric Abwehi, both, you know, I mean, if you had a, even if you had an average starter sort of pegged in to replace him, you'd probably say it was a still a poor decision. But I think for Abwehi and Fisher to be considered good enough by the team and the coaches to seriously replace someone of Wit's calibre was just an extremely head-scratching decision. Um, and I think the Bengals, you know, the only thing I could say for the, in the Bengals' defence is that Whitworth did have some knee concerns over the years, and I think maybe they potentially thought to themselves, and obviously the Rams always are quite aggressive spenders, and they probably were thinking to themselves, do we want to pay top, top-tier money to a guy that's, on the back end of his career that may have injury concerns that we've flagged or whatever and decided that it would be a more cost-effective option to go elsewhere. But even so, I think if you know someone of Whitworth's character, there's so much value just there from a leadership standpoint and, um, you know, from a development standpoint. So I think whichever way you look at it, it's still pretty pretty damning. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, a shame. it's a shame that he's someone else's now. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. It's 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 it's. Uh, there's a dog barking outside. A little dog. Um, yeah, we could go over it, but what's the point? It's just masochism, isn't it? Really. Um, okay. Well, it's time to bring in our special guest, and uh, it is Tommy Smith. 
and uh, it is remarkable that we were able to speak to him. I must preface the interview with a few things. Tommy mentions the Olympic Project for Human Rights, which um, he was a part of at San Jose State University. And I remember in 1968, it was a crucible of anger and change and protest and violence and uncertainty you know as i mentioned earlier martin luther Luther king was assassinated uh, earlier in the spring of 68 bobby kennedy uh, uh, beloved by so many um, was also assassinated can you imagine that two high profile figures who who kind of stood for change uh, were taken out it's it's hard to believe man um so there, subsequently there were riots and uh, and lots of civil rights protests and anger, uh, real anger. And at San Jose State University, uh, Tommy and his friends um, uh, kind of set up this Olympic project for human rights, which uh, actually advocated a boycott of the Mexico Olympics uh, unless four conditions were met. South Africa and Rhodesia, which is Zimbabwe now, um, were uninvited from the Olympics because of apartheid. Uh, they wanted the restoration of Muhammad Ali's world heavyweight boxing title. Another dimension to this time was the Vietnam War and Muhammad Ali's uh, conscientious objection. Uh, they wanted the president of the IOC to step down uh, and they wanted the hiring of, of more African-American assistant coaches um, so, you know, the fact that Tommy actually made it to the Olympics was uh, incredible when you when you kind of think about all that. Um, but anyway, I'll shut up now. Uh, I just wanted to tell you that because Tommy does mention the Olympic Project for Human Rights. Um, uh, and I wanted to just explain what that, that, that body, that uh, association was all about. Well, I can hardly believe I'm saying this because our special guest has been such an inspiration to millions around the world for over four decades. Joining us now is Olympic gold medalist, world record smashing athlete, civil rights activist and the man who silently and powerfully protested on the podium at the 1968 Olympic Games which forevermore made him an icon of the 20th century. And lest we forget, he was also a Cincinnati Bengal for almost three seasons, I believe. Uh, I'm delighted to say that Dr. Tommy Smith is here with us now. Tommy, thank you so much for, for spending a little bit of time with us. It is a pleasure, Paul, to talk to some Bengal fans. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> there are a few of us over here, as strange as it may seem, and, uh, you know, we, we've got a, a fervent fan base over here. Um, but obviously, I want to talk to you about the world and your life. You've had an extraordinary life, uh, Tommy. Um, now, the mid to late 1960s was such an incredibly tumultuous time in the US. You know, you had the Vietnam War the civil rights movement and the protests, the rise of the counterculture, you name it. Uh, from what I read, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a part of history that really fascinates me. Change really felt like it was in the air. Where were you, where did you sit in all of this and, and what do you remember about that time? Well, I was, uh, gee whiz, uh, and in 68, I was a senior in college at that particular time. And I was involved uh, deeply in the 
moving long before then, but uh, rarely said anything because I needed uh, a stronger a, a platform of, uh, of uh, uh, technical terms in terms of verbiage to uh, 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 incite the truth of what was going on and how uh, the, the system needed changing mm. and how I could be uh, an implement to uh, help change that. And, of course, uh, sports, as it is today, Paul, mm. but back then, especially back then, because there wasn't very many uh, uh, ideological uh, magnets in sport to uh, kindle the need to, uh, for forward movement unviolently. Right, right. And uh, we did uh, on the podium, uh, uh, Victor Stand in Mexico City, uh, under the uh, umbrella of the Olympic Project for Human Rights. And uh, this was rights for, rights for people, mm. uh, not just the black masses, but all masses. Of course, since I was a black man, it has to deal with racism in particular because that's what was happening uh, in the United States on a, a scale that uh, uh, was unimaginable then and just as unimaginable now. In fact, even more so now, but it was started uh, long before Tommy Smith and but Tommy Smith uh, mobilized the, an effort of uh, voices and bodies to maintain the strength right, of right. love and affection moving forward. That's what I was all about. Mm. I mean, that year, 1968, you had the, the dreadful assassination of Martin Luther King in April. There were riots in Chicago and, and Washington, D.C., notably, but all over the United States. Bobby Kennedy was shot and killed in June. Uh, Malcolm X was assassinated in 65. I mean, it, when you were going into uh, the Olympics in 68, because you had already started breaking world records when you were at San Jose State, right, in, I believe, 1966, what was going through your mind when you, when you, when you were preparing for the Olympics in 68? It was more continuing my training, continuing my uh, religious studies, and uh, 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 thinking of what could I do with what I was blessed with to 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 move forward nonviolently. People uh, of color who uh, was resonating uh, 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 the the hope for the future. Now, I was an athlete. Mm. I was a, a, a sociology major, hoping to do something because Tom. Well, I never. Uh, said anything. I was very quiet. I competed uh, at a tempo that's uh, almost unimaginable. Mm. But that's what personality was all about, doing the best I can when I could, to whom I could, and continue to teach the young kids that you cannot throw a rock and hide your hand. You must be transparent. You must tell the truth. Anything you do, you must think about it before you uh, start any action because we're Ever there's a footstep forward, there's always one back or one to the side. So you must have tempo, tempo, mm. keep moving forward. And you could see that through uh, 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 Mexico City and those people who knew Tommy Smith while in college. There mm. was no different, and I haven't changed. Mm. I move on very, very radically, as some people might think to say, but it's pro-radicism and not of the negative kind. Mm. Mm. When you won the 200 metres gold in Mexico City, um, Tommy, I believe you setting a world record in the process, I believe, as well. Um, were you, had you got, I mean, were you going to, into that Olympic Games thinking, I've got a real shot at winning a medal here, and if I do, I want to do something. I want to use that platform, as you spoke about, to say something. Was that always in your mind? 
Well, you know, Paul, during the competition, the Olympic Project for Human Rights and a proposed boycott mm-hmm. of the black athletes and the assimilation of other uh, other colors, uh, it was it was uh, by the black athletes said no uh, two weeks before that there would not be Olympic boycott because uh, a lot of the athletes on the team thought it necessary to compete uh, and show the world rather than sit back and show the world. Make right. a step forward instead of a step back. And this is what happened. But, Paul, since the Olympic Project for Human Rights began on the campus of San Jose State with myself, with Dr. Harry Edwards, with the great Lee Evans, the great quarter miler, and uh, another guy, by the, a person by the name of Dr. Ken Noel, we, I thought it necessary to make an extra movement mm. under the umbrella of the Olympic Project for Human Rights since it was started on the campus of San Jose State, but I did not know what. Right. Okay. So I had to, what I wanted to do, what Tommy Smith wanted to do, uh, to, to move uh, uh, the, 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 the feeling of uh, equality forward. Mm. So I sat many hours before that and thought, what? so I called home, which back in the uh, United States, California, at, uh, San Jose, California, in fact, and asked my wife uh, uh, at the time to bring me a pair of gloves. She asked me, Mm. For what? I said, no, no, but I got a spirit of using something to 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 show a symbol of yeah. equality, to show a symbol of togetherness so the whole world could see and make their own decision of that need. And that's exactly what I did uh, in, a, in a passage of moving forward. That's what I wanted to do. And it wasn't until a few minutes, really, before... Uh, I stepped on the victory stand that it was decided what I would do. Wow. And you saw. A few minutes. You all saw it. Wow. Yeah, a few minutes. It wasn't days before. No, no. It was something I needed to do. I didn't know what. Mm. I could have done nothing. But the Spirit told me, this is what you must do. So that move, Paul, was a divine, divine movement. Right, right. So, I mean, let's just go through it real quick. You, you raised a fist with a black glove on, and you also took your shoes off, I believe, as well. Could you tell us about the significance of those two gestures? Well, since, uh, Paul, it wasn't a speaking engagement <laughs> or anything I could say verbally, so I had to show it physically yeah. uh, and have history behind history behind what I was doing. So the bare feet of the socks with the pants rolled up uh, identified and signified uh, the, the poorness, the of the generation before me, of slavery, mm. of, of no shoes. Uh, the bowed head, of course, since I was a religious little kid all my life, uh, proved the prayer for the world, proved mm. the prayer for human for, for human rights. And, of course, the fist represented uh, power to the people, or power for all. Uh, a lot of people view it as black power. They can view it as they want. Since I was a black person with a black fist, with a black glove, and it was for power. They can say black power. Everybody will understand that. Mm. But it was a sacrifice, my sacrifice uh, to, uh, to the world that there's a need. Let's fight for this need. And hopefully down the line, others would uh, uh, understand that and move forward because I will be getting older. It's an extraordinarily powerful image to this day. It's, it's an image that I've grown up with and admiring you for my entire lifetime. As strange as that seems, you know, five, six thousand miles away in the UK here. I'm interested, how was that protest perceived around the world and in the States? Was there a difference? 
And how did it kind of change your life? Well, it moved forward because I didn't, I hadn't lived a life yet. So I don't know how it changed. It just mm. the, uh, made life. It just made me understand what my life had to be of teaching. Mm. Uh, uh, I went to college to become a teacher. That's what I became. And so it gave me impetus to move forward because everybody had seen that stand and they wanted an explanation of what it meant. I can only tell them, as I told you, it was a sight, mm. a, a sight of divinity, a divine sight that p- people saw and instituted their own feeling within that because it was not malignant. They were not meant to be malignant. I'm not a malignant person, mm. although there are those who believe that, well, Tommy Smith was against the flag. No, I wasn't against the flag. Mm. Tommy Smith did it because he wanted to become somebody. I already held 11, more, uh, 11 world records, which is more world records than any man in track and field history, or woman in track and field history, mm-hmm. and a gold medal, and the first time that furlong was run under 20 seconds. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I didn't need to be seen as, as an important runner. Uh, they saw it by the times. I wanted the people all over the world to understand that freedom is the way to bring people together. Mm-hmm. Not recite, not to recite ignorance mm-hmm. or make it believe that because I did what I did, that I will be looked at as a mortal. Mm-hmm. I am only a person like all people in, in the world. Since you're in the UK, I'm sure that there are people there who understand a need to be themselves mm-hmm. or to have an idea of I am free wherever I walk. Anything I do that the system don't like, I know I will, will suffer a consequence but I'm doing it because I feel it. Mm. That's what... I mean, and the next year, you joined the Cincinnati Bengals. (laughs) What was your experience like in Cincinnati, and how did you, uh, just in terms of uh, biology, I guess, how did you transition from your straight-line track speed (laughs) to the stop-start nature of the NFL? I mean, you were joining people like the legendary Paul Brown and... Uh, 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 and Bob Trumpy and and Ken Riley who passed away last week and what what, what was your time like in Cincinnati and I mean you, it didn't quite work for you in the NFL I think it's fair to say I was drafted uh, while I was in college by the yeah. Los Angeles Rams mm. I went there and I did a a, a quick uh, a review of my talents and I came back finished up uh, uh, that year and uh, after. Uh, uh, the games because I, I, I was drafted before the games. But mm. at that time, you know, you couldn't mix a professional sport with uh, an amateur sport, so right. I couldn't take that job because I wanted to compete in the Olympic Games. But right after the Olympic Games, mm. I was completely scounded. I was dropped by everybody. Wow. The, 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 the Rams, the, 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 uh, the, the uh, uh, company that was supposed to support me at that particular time as my agent yeah. in, in, in there. It, and all the stuff just disappeared. Everything just People viewed me as a total radical. Right. Before then, I was a nice little guy out there running world records and smiling with my hand. <laughs> right. But soon as I stepped to reality, people hated me because of the platform I took and where I took it. Yeah. I was sitting home one day, uh, no money in the bank, no gas in my little raggedy car I had. Yeah. And I was wondering, Lord, what am I going to do? My phone rang, and it was Bill Walsh. Wow. From the Cincinnati. Bill Walsh is from the San Jose area where I went to school. And he said, Tommy, uh, Paul Brown wanted to know if you wanted to uh, 
play with Cincinnati Bengals. Yeah. Of course, I had to presume that I was okay. I said, oh, sure, I will come and be happy to try it, you know? Yeah. Knowing good and you know that I hadn't played football in college, although I was an All-American in high school, but not didn't play in college. I ran track instead. So I packed my little two-shoe bag, and they brought me to Cincinnati. And I said, now, to myself, in my hotel by myself, how am I going to make this team? <laughs> and a light just flashed in my face and said, you were blessed with speed. Outrun the thought of not making it. Mm. I couldn't be reached by the quarterback with the ball, so I didn't have to catch it. <laughs> wow, amazing. <laughs> uh, Bill Walsh, what a legend. Um, just fast, just bringing this to a close, Tommy. Um, fast forward 40 years, we're in the, in the present day now. Um, what do you say to people? I need to ask you this. What do you say to people who argue that sport and politics shouldn't mix? Oh, I think they should be re-educated. Uh, sport and politics, that's what it's all about. Uh, the problem uh, intertwined in that to make people believe it's not is uh, 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 it would take away from the finances of whatever sport, uh, whatever sport it, it, that is. Mm -hmm. uh, it's part of human nature. It's a part of the, the American dream, and I think all dreams around the world, uh, that politics is a part of sports. Uh, if it wasn't part of sports, it wouldn't make the relationship of man and, and, and sport one. Mm, mm. You cannot have sports without the political nature exuding its sometimes ugly head into where it maybe doesn't belong. Mm, mm. So people do not believe that it's there. You have to live with the reality that sport is a very powerful uh, notation in the system of freedom and it's going to happen. Even though the money rampant, it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. And what can we do now, Tommy? Um, you know, we've seen the horrific scenes in Minneapolis, and you know, I've got friends in Louisville, so I've been following the Breonna Taylor story. Uh, and everyone now around the world actually seems to be really re-examining their own attitudes to race and racism and systems and how we can improve things. What what can people yeah. like me over here in the UK? What like what can our fans and our followers do who've who've frankly had enough of systemic racism? What can we do? Stop stop lying to ourselves and say I see no color or I don't see color. Mm. Uh, there is color in everything uh, we do. That makes the beauty of the world more fluorescent. You got to see it. You got to work in spite of the stupidity in believing that one is better than the other. Understand your heart and move forward. When you see someone that you don't understand, you still have to maintain contact. That's why education is so interesting. That's why the, 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 the human nature is so interesting that we do see a difference and we work to make love between that differences one. Mm. If there was no difference, it would be a very, very uh, 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 dull world. You mm. see it, try to understand it, and try to meet it on a passive basis of understanding. Understand differences, work in spite of it. Mm. That's why rules and regulations are so important, is to bind together those of different thoughts. If there were no thoughts, there would be uh, really no actual love to deal with because you wouldn't have to deal with it. Mm. Let's deal with what God has put here for us to love, to understand, and make the best out of it. Mm. Killing is not going to do it. Mm. But, but there's many marches 
and marches and, and, and uh, are many times the voices of the unheard. Of course, there is going to be idiocy or stupidity in those marches because there are going to be people infiltrating to, for, for the fun of it. Mm. Well, there are extraordinary times that we're living in and you lived in extraordinary times. So, uh, Tommy, thank you so much for joining us. And I know that everyone wants to get your opinion on stuff and the world at the moment. So what a, what an honour it is to, to speak with you and, and, and thank you so much for the time. We really appreciate it. You're welcome, Paul. Take care of yourself. And you, Tommy. You take care. Well, there we go. That was Tommy Smith, the uh, the I one of the icons of the twentieth century, uh, speaking to Cincinnati. How about that? Incredible. Since Cincinnati, with all the guests, from the football guests to the, you know, the inspirational, um, you know, what are we going to have on next, my son? Eh? Next week, the president of the United States uh, will be. <laughs> no, he really won't. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. The fact that he, I would have loved to have spoken to him more about the Bengals, but we only had a certain amount of time. But I hope that gave everyone a flavour of uh, of that incredible moment on the podium. And also, isn't it great uh, that you know I'm I'm actually very proud that he's associated with the Bengals. But, yeah, hundred percent. But how, amazing that Bill Walsh just called him out of the blue. And yeah, I was, was going to say that. It was the Bengals that gave him a chance when no one else wanted to. That goes back to Paul Brown in the in the 40s and 50s when, uh, you know, he broke the colour divide with Marion Motley and all those guys. Um, and it was it was Paul Brown and Bill Walsh who, who who kind of got him to Cincinnati. That's that's pretty that that's pretty amazing to me. Yeah, hundred percent. I, I think when it, it's when people take uh, moves like that, make decisions like that, that's really things that do like progress society and uh, move things forward. So it's a you know fair play to Bill Walsh for doing that, and I think that sort of message moves forward now for anything people can do now. Um, you know, to change the narrative, have a think about your opinions and stuff like that. It's just um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's inspiring. It's a fantastic interview as well, son. I commend you for it. Thank you. It was a, an absolute, genuine honour for me to do that um, and speak to Tommy. So thank you once again to Tommy. Right. Uh, we... Cincinnati, by the way, has turned madly highbrow, haven't we? We've, we? we've gone from the early episodes of me and you just getting pissed and, <laughs> and your dates and escapades and, you know, some of the outrageous stuff that was said when Tim Knowles was on this podcast to being like super highbrow, progressive, you know, really sort of like talking about the issues that are at hand. You know, look at the state of the sun. Well, uh, well, you have to. Uh, if you've got a platform, you got to do it, I think. And um, I think next week we should, you know, get some cans of really strong lager and just swear and shout for an hour and a half. Well, that's what I feel like doing most of the time, anyway. But um, uh, yes, uh, well, you know, there was a football angle there, but obviously uh, Tommy was a, a topical guest, I think. And uh, as I say, absolute honour. However, we do have some correspondence, and um, we thank you for that correspondence. Uh, as I say we're going through all, all throughout the summer be damned why not people seem to want it so normally we'd be taking a a, a breather uh, and watching other sports and sunning ourselves but we're not we are carrying on through the madness and um and we're happy to do so you know this is fun right talking about your favorite team and world issues with your friends and all the rest of it um 
But we do have some correspondence, and of course, you can reach us on Twitter at whoday underscore UK or on Facebook uh, via Bengals UK. So do drop us a line, do watch our watch parties. We're going to carry on with those for a little while, I think. They've been good fun. We've got some other stuff in the pipeline to keep you entertained. Uh, we do have some questions. So the, the first one is Logie B513 at Logie513. There are several NFL players that I love to hate. For example, JJ Watt seems to, like a really good human being, but I love cheering against him on the field because he has, bought, he has been the bane of my Bengals' existence. Are there any players that you guys love to hate? Ooh. Do you know I've never been a massive JJ Watts all right there was a time when the Beng, when the when the um when the Texans beat the Bengals twice in that playoff game I hated JJ Watt I really did um and obviously now his brother TJ plays for the Steelers that hasn't helped but I've grown on it. He's grown on me a bit in the last couple of years but he was definitely to be fair you know like Logie said someone that I didn't like for a long time but what about yourself son Oh, it's who do I love to hate? Oh, well, you could switch it around and say who do I hate to love as well. You know those those guys. Um, who do I love to hate? It has to be Baker Mayfield, really. I think. Um, yeah, it's a good shout. It's a good shout. What he did to Hugh Jackson, I would love exactly. to. Oh, mate. Yeah, it's a good shout. And it's you good... could Browns fans would pro- obviously argue that Hugh didn't bring him in soon enough, but the way Baker acted after. You know, especially when Hugh came out to Cincinnati, it was an absolute disgrace. And the more I watch him, the more I dislike him. He just seems really arrogant. And, you know, there's a fine line between swagger and arrogance. And uh, I think he he oversteps that line quite regularly, shall we say. I don't like Odell Beckham either. And in fact, he's on the Browns now as well. It's a, you know... (laughs) It's double whammy. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, The guy that I hate to love is Tom Brady although I don't particularly love him but I hate to admire him do you know what I mean I think he's obviously got the you know he's got everything isn't he he's won everything he's done everything he's got the glamorous uh, lifestyle he's he's good looking guy he's got everything and um, but what he does do he just keeps doing it and I think that's that's you know I respect that I have to say I mean I know a lot How of people. How do you reckon who... he's going to fare in Tampa Bay? How do you reckon he's going to get on? I'm really interested to see whether he's. Because when I saw him to Tampa Bay, I was a little bit surprised. Fair play to them. I know the fans are like really super excited down there, and they've got some good talent. Uh, and if it wasn't for all those interceptions from Jameis last year, they might have had a crack at the playoffs actually. Um, but I wonder, is Arians that kind of West Coast offense guy that that Brady is used to? Because Brady's not a real chuck-it-down-the-field guy, and, and Arians loves those guys, you know? Um, Brady's a more of a, dare I say, an Andy Dalton type of player um, who likes to get the ball out quickly, you know, move the change, short and sharp, uh, and then maybe the odd sort of, you know, mid to, mid mid to long shot I don't think he's quite got the arm anymore so I'll be, I'll be fascinated actually I don't know is the, is the answer but I'm kind of looking forward to seeing Tampa Bay I've got nothing I 
don't mind Tampa Bay, I must say. I mean, Tampa Bay got. I mean, you think Brady's like you know going over there? He's got Godwin and um, Evans to throw yeah, to, and he never had good receivers. Really. No, I mean it's absurd. I mean, you know, very arguably two of the best, either one of the best um, receiving tandems in the NFL. But I mean, the geezer's going to be forty-three. Yeah, season starts. I mean, it's staggering, really. I mean, you don't see professional athletes. Yeah. At, Top level, rarely do you see them play past sort of 36, 7, you know, 38 is always considered or very old. Rarely ever have I ever heard of anyone going to 40, let alone 43. And he's got these like young lads coming out of college that are six foot five, six foot seven, 300 pounds, you know, can run a 40 yard dash in four and a half seconds. You've got these geezers tearing around the corner to knock him down. I mean, most 43-year-olds, if you've got, if you've got someone like Carl Lawson tearing around the corner, dump-tackling you into the ground, I mean, you'd probably die. <laughs> or you'd certainly be like, you know, you'd be certainly carted off the field immediately. I mean, you've got to give some serious credit to Tom Brady's conditioning and whatever else. I mean, it remains to be seen how he, how he goes. Because I remember Peyton Manning, I mean, I know he won a Super Bowl in his last last year but I remember his arm and his yeah, he looked yeah. like he was shot in that last season if it wasn't for Denver's you know completely absurd um, defence yeah. I'm not sure they would have been able to rely on him so I am genuinely intrigued and also intrigued to see him you know without Bill Belichick and I think it's almost a bit of a ballsy move by Brady because he almost wants to prove that he can win without Belichick mm-hmm. and I think Whoever does better next season, so if Brady, you know, goes on a big run and does well, and the Patriots don't, then you might you have people saying, "Oh, it was Brady all along; it wasn't Belichick." But then, if Belichick gets the Patriots on a run and you know they win a load of games with, you know, God knows whoever at quarterback, then people might say, "Well, it was Belichick; it wasn't Brady; he's just a system quarterback." So it's going to be a really interesting narrative once this all plays out. I agree. You could switch that around to say, you know, I. Belichick will be an absolute genius if he isn't already. If he gets that Patriots team to the to the uh, to the playoffs this year, because they didn't, to me, they didn't really have a fantastic draft. They had some key players left. Uh, it's going to be really interesting in the AFC East, I think. Um, I should also mention uh, Jalen Ramsey. I dislike him. I should also mention Juju Smith Schuster. I don't oh, like yeah, him. that's a good shout. That's a good shout. And yeah, you know both what? Good I might as well just chuck all the Pittsburgh Steelers into that love to hate because they just, they just, it's just a gift that keeps on giving, really, isn't yeah, it? Have we not said Big Ben? I mean, I mean, obviously, like, you know. See, uh, I, yeah, Big Ben's an obvious one, but I just, ju- just, obvious. just dump all those Steelers into that skip of hate. And uh, <laughs> uh, I'd also add Ray Lewis as well. I hate yeah, Ray he's Lewis. A, he's an ex-player, though, and he like you could. I we, hated him. It could get dirty if we start talking about that. Well, Heinz yeah. Ward, obviously, but yeah, like, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Chemo Van Hoffel, Hiffel Huffle. Yeah, uh, but I felt bad. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that wasn't that. That's unfair. It's like that was a, or or was it? Or <laughs> conspiracy? Anyway, our lawyers are calling. We better oh, shut man. up. Uh, thank you for that excellent question, Logie. Uh, Jamie at Trequart Beaster. With the uh, Premier League season starting up again, does Nathan still think Sheffield United will finish bottom of the league? <laughs> now, you really oh, should stop mate. making these bets with people. Uh, well, I won my bet with Sam Angel, and I was hoping that... Um, 
I was hoping the Premier League season would be cancelled so that I could maybe claim that they still could have done. Um, in fact, I'm not even sure if it's mathematically possible anymore. But no. yeah, I've, I've got quite a lot of egg on my face with that bit, I must say. Yes, you have. Um, I mean, Sheffield United are more likely to qualify for Europe than go down. Um, which Mate, I reckon they're a... going to have a spectacular collapse now, I'm calling it. <laughs> like you say, I think they're mathematically safe. Uh, Chris Wilder sacked by uh, the end of July. Well, again, do you want to put a bet on that with Jamie, or is that too... Uh, no, <laughs> I might um, not wager anything on it, but okay, just, uh, right. just a hunch. Okay. Uh, Odat at DZE, would you settle for a record in 2020 that guarantees a premium top 10 pick in next year's draft? For example, 2019 was, say, 5-11 or worse, pro-rated, depends, depends how many games you uh, actually played, of course. After all, that's still progress, right? And would that keep the coaching staff intact? I'd be... I mean, they could do, and he's right. It would be a, a three-game improvement on last year. I'd be disappointed, though. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I mean, if they, but then again, if they finish six and ten, you kind of think that's not quite as bad as the five and eleven. You know, I'm, I'm going, I'm still going for that seven and nine kind of area. Um, I just, I just desperately want to drown out the noise of like um, the, all the draft picks. Would it be better to win no games and get another great pick than it would be to win nine or seven or sorry, whatever like that? So. The question I'll answer there around would it keep would five and eleven and a top ten pick keep Zach Taylor his job? Oof! I mean, that's my response. Is oof? <laughs> I still, oh, I, I think still it think it would actually. Oh, well, not that's... not because I'd agree with it particularly, but I think Mike sees this. You know, the 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 front office at least sees this as, as a. A long-term rebuild, so I think he'll have another year or so. Um, I think if he won five games, it's the sort of head scratching in between. I think if he won six, people would be like six and ten. You know, that's not terrible. You'd be somewhat competitive. I also think it's in the circumstances of how you were to go, like five or six wins. If you were like absolutely shocking and went zero oh and ten or something. And then you won a couple of like irrelevant games down the stretch to sort of against bad teams. Yeah, that's one thing. But if you sort of you know you went you ended you started out like five and five and then finished six and ten, I think at least then you were competitive and people will be excited and stuff like that. But I think six wins he'd keep his job. Four wins, I honestly think if he won four games, I think he'd have to go. I don't think you could win six games in two years and keep your job. I just don't think that that would be good enough to be honest. But mm. With five, I think he probably, you know, knowing the Bengals are quite a loyal franchise, they'd yeah, probably yeah. hold on. But yeah, I like you said. I I want my my aim for the season would be seven to eight wins. I think if you could win seven or eight games, it'd be a very very good move forward with the rookie quarterback, and it'd show progress. I mean, the Bengals have spent a lot of money in free agency, so you've got people like DJ Reader coming in, Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander, you know, Josh Bynes, all these guys coming in that you want to make an impact. And it does take time to gel. No one's expecting a deep playoff run. I don't think anyone really is expecting the playoffs, but I think we do need to see a much improved team from last year that is exciting to watch and there's some competitive games um, for us next season. Well said. Uh, Dom at Bumbling Bengal. 
Do you Son th- Handel. Oh, first one of the night. No, second one, obviously, after the Rattler. Um, do you think Burrow will be one of the designated captains in his rookie year? Also, who do you think replaces Fergie as special teams captain? I miss him so much already. It's okay, That's a good Don. question. It's, okay, it's a good Don. question. I like that. Yeah, I think um, you know he's already shown uh, leadership qualities uh, from what you read from the Zoom meetings. His teammates are impressed by him. I don't see why not. You know, why not? You know, he's the I quarterback. Think, uh, he's the he's the he's the he's the kind of the centre piece of our team. Sorry, say again, Nathan. Can, can you be a captain in your rookie year? I don't know what the rules are. I, don't, I, I would I would be staggered if there is a rule for that. Really, it's surely it's up to up to the club to announce the captains. Um, yeah, I think if he was voted as captain, <clears throat> I think that would be. An, I mean, because it's not obviously like it's not it's like Zach Taylor's like you know Premier League game where he can just be like yeah go on so I knew you goes the armband like I think the way it works is you have to all the players have to vote on it. Right, right. Um, but I mean, it would be, obviously be a fantastic sign if he was to be given that, because um, I think he's got all the tangibles for it, all the intangibles for it. He's, yeah. he's throughout been um, touted as a guy that's a sort of natural leader, says the right things, wants to be in control of things, good motivator. So I think that's the one thing that's really underrated about him. Obviously, he's a great player and he achieved huge success at uh, LSU, but you don't always get those guys that have just got that natural ability to lead and um, gravitate people to them and get the best out of people. Some people have it, some don't. Um, Like, you've got it, my son, but other people don't, (laughs) you know what I mean? So I think that, um, you know, it's fantastic. And I I hope that he is voted captain and I hope we've got a guy that can sort of lead this franchise forward for the next 10, 15, 20 years if you're Tom Brady. So... Yeah, I'm hopeful. On special teams, I don't know. And again, it's a good question because I think Fedulam added a lot um, on special teams and he, again, good leader. So I was a bit disappointed that he went to Miami in the end. But I don't, maybe Brandon Wilson on special teams. I'm not I'm not sure who would be the guy on there because historically we've had some good leaders on special teams. You go back to Sed Pierman, he was always um, regarded as a very high quality uh, locker room guy and a good leader and obviously Fedge and Darren Simmons runs a tight ship so it'll be interesting to see who the, who the guys pick out um, to fill that uh, void uh, very uh, very true indeed I'm going to go a bit left field here I'm going for a, a guy that has appeared on our podcast uh, I'm going for Marcus Bailey Ooh. if he makes the team Um and also, I'm going to go for Austin Calitro. Oh, okay. Okay. I think those so guys... Uh, yeah, a couple of new boys. I think they're... Um... What is your rationale for Austin Calitro being a captain? Well, apparently he's a good special teams player. So um, that's that's all my <laughs> that's, rationale. That's, that's good. Well, and also, Marcus Bailey, if he makes the team, then, you know, he's he's done a Masters or some degree in leadership skills and... You know, yeah, every, I mean, you could probably throw Logan Wilson in there as well. You know, I I don't know whether they're going to be starters straight away, so their obvious contributions will be on special teams. So um, I, like, why not? I, like, I really do like. I know we've talked about this before, but I do really like the fact that Zach Taylor is building a locker room of high caliber guys. You know, in terms of their personality and leadership skills, I just think it's a it's a nice road to go down. People that you know you can rely on they've got good integrity 
Um, I think it's, you know, their good leadership skills, their sons of coaches, whatever else. I just think it's a, it's a nice position to be in, um, to get the sort of right work ethic and the right chemistry in that locker room that you need. So, um, cause obviously in the past, you know, with the Bengals there has been, you know, the Bengals will criticize sometimes for taking punts on players and, you know, whatever else. So I think it's a, it's a nice ethos to build around, I guess. Agreed. Uh, Duncan at Dastardly Duncan. Solid handle. Rank the AFC North from best to worst off seasons. Oof. I'm going. I'm. I'm going Steelers at the bottom. I, I thought um, they didn't really splash out in free agency. Um, they re-signed uh, Bud Dupree. Don't know, man. Eric Ebron was a good signing, I think. Um, don't know really. Um, I didn't think they had a spectacular draft either. Um, although Chase Claypool is going to be quite interesting. So yeah, I'm I'm going for um the Steelers at number four. I'm going to take us out of it actually. Um, I'm going to go see the Ravens. You know, they they sent Hayden Hurst to the Falcons, which was okay, because they've got Mark Andrews. Uh, but they signed Calais Campbell and and Michael Brockers. Uh, and yeah, it's it, outrageous, isn't it? And in the draft, um, they went for. You know, they they really addressed their linebacking situation, which they had to do like we did. You know, they had Patrick Queen. Um, Malik Harrison, but they also signed some interesting guys like J.K. Dobbins, who's supposed to be amazing, uh, Justin Madibuike, Devin Duvernay, uh, Ben Bredesen at guard, James Proche is apparently, or Proche, whoever you pronounce his name, at the back end of the draft is supposed to be quite talented. Oh, they're buggers, aren't they, the Ravens? They just keep on drafting well and signing good players. So I think they might be number one, actually. Because uh, they drafted well, and uh, I think uh, the Ravens are number one. I said they'd certainly be my number one. I just think they continue to improve an already very talented team. Um, I agree with you. I go Steelers bottom. The Browns made some moves though. You know, it's well, hard. They, to... Again, they address some needs, some glaring needs. I mean, they drafted Jedrick Wills, and they signed. Who did they sign? to uh, Jack Conkling yeah, to shore up they, their tackles. They paid a ton of money to that Falcons tight end, Austin. Yeah, Hooper. that was an odd one. Um, uh, what, interestingly, I think the the one signing for the, yeah, you know, fair enough, those guys, but the one signing you've got to look at, I think, is was shrewd business, was Case Keenum. Yeah, the backup, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. who knows what's going to happen with, with uh, Baker this year. And I think that both puts a little bit of pressure on, which might kind of make him, uh, you know, kind of uh, step up his, his his game a little bit and get his act together. But uh, so yeah, I'm going. I'm going Ravens one, Browns two, and uh, Steelers three. And I'd probably slot us. I'm going to be Homer and say number two in that lineup. Would you? 
I don't know. It's hard. I mean, I think DJ Reader was obviously a fantastic sign-in, and Trey Waynes is obviously a starter coming in, which is good. But I think Mackenzie Alexander is almost just a more affordable version of Darquez Denardi. Ideally, I'd have liked to have kept Denard. So I think we made some good moves. I mean, Suafilo, I'm not sure, you know, if what he's going to add. Like I said before, I'm, I am worried about that offensive line, even with the talent they've brought in. And I know we lost Eifert and... I think we had a good off-season. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sign a player of DJ Reader's calibre and to a certain extent, Trey Waynes is excellent. But obviously the draft's the headline for us if you include that in the off-season. You know, that, that's obviously the big statement piece getting Burrow in. So I think probably I'd rank a second on the fact that we've brought in a franchise quarterback, obviously, you know. And, um, and two Higgins. Yeah, yeah. And three I, I think, linebackers that could really yeah. contribute. I, I, I don't know. I, I, it's I, tricky, always, I always don't want to jump on... I mean, I know obviously these players come highly regarded in the draft, as do all players in the draft. So I don't almost want to speculate on the draft too much. I think obviously, you know, we've got one of the most talented um, and coveted quarterbacks to come out of the draft in the last 10 years. Obviously, that's a positive. But in terms of the actual sort of comings and goings, contract signings, restructurings, I think we're sort of middle of the pack. I don't think we're the worst, but I also think that... You know, we did lose a few players. AJ Green still sort of, you know, his status is still a little bit up in the air there. Joe Mixon's contract's a bit up in the air. Um, so I, I think it was good. I do think it was good, but I don't think we can sort of have the crown, I don't think. Well, we shall see. Uh, well, actually, lot. You don't want to win the off-season. I mean, you know, every no way, team, exactly, the yeah. Browns last year, you'd have said 100%, outrageous, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, I mean, they've got another head coach, and that's always, every single time you get a new head coach, it's just, you know, it's beggar's belief. And I mean, I don't, barely ever does a new head coach come in and immediately you see success there. It takes a long time to get your own players and stuff. So whatever the Browns have done this season, I think the fact they've got a new coach again, for the hundredth time in the last 10 years, you know, like they're going to take some time to gel if Mayfield likes him or not, if Beckham likes him or not. I mean, it, I really, I, you know, with the Browns, I possibly put them, I know they made on paper some decent moves, but I don't know. You're just the Browns, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. What a perfect time to, to end the podcast. Uh, thank you once again for everyone's uh, correspondence. It's always lovely to hear from you. It's great to see the community still thriving out there, despite what's going on. Um, keep in touch keep safe thank you very much to Tommy Smith uh, what, again what an honour to speak with him hope you guys enjoyed uh, the interview and uh, with all that being said though it's a who day from me and a who day from me cheers guys and it should also be noted that the views and opinions expressed within this podcast do not reflect those of the Cincinnati Bengals organisation <laughs>